from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome everybody to Round Trip Death, and I'd like to welcome our special guest today, Sky Lynn. Sky, how are you? Good morning, buenos dias. Doing well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing great. Now, tell us why the Spanish. Maybe it'll tie in with where you live. Yes, I am 18 miles from the Mexican border in Nogales. It's Tubac. And we, uh, north, to give people an idea, we're south of Tucson, about 35 minutes. So between Tucson and the border. Correct. And it's kind of an artist community, isn't it? It is. It's been here for many, many decades, big festivals, and it's got a lot of like-minded spirit people that uh, it's a creative valley for sure. I would say the majority of the people that I've met here have come here with the best. They've retired, they've, they've left whatever else was there, and they've come back here to just enjoy the environment and the all the recreation, the hiking and the lakes and so on and so forth, and the creativity, which is wonderful. Now, it's going to sound like we're doing a pitch for the Chamber of Commerce. We're not. <laughs> okay. But I did look up Tubac or Tubac online, and it's a fairly small town, but it looks like you have good restaurants and a lot of artists. And what do you, what do you and your husband do for fun or to keep yourselves busy? Yeah, well, there's two seasons. There's high season where it's the tourists, which is they estimate somewhere about 1,100 people a day visit. And our whole village is 1,100 people. And when low season's here, only 30% of us live here year round. So that's our favorite season. <laughs> but a lot of the restaurants close during that time, too. And is low season summer because it's hot or winter? We just starts April 1st, April to September. And then again, January, we get another uh, group of people. But we'd like to go over towards Patagonia, which is uh, east of us. There's beautiful vineyards. There's hiking. They have a beautiful bird sanctuary for hiking. Uh, there's a couple of really nice lakes to go to and do some kayaking or floating. And so it's that. And then Tucson is really rich, too, in their art community. So we like to, which we'll be doing this week, we'll go up on Sunday afternoon, do some art, stay overnight, and then we do our appointments and whatever on Monday and then come back home. Okay. So, Sky, I know that you had an interesting near-death experience. Take us back. How long ago was this? The first near-death experience that I had was at 11 years old. Okay. And how many total are there? Two actual near-death experiences and four uh, brushes with death or uh, divine um, intervention with death. All right. Well, let's start when you're 11 years old. And I can't remember from the pre-interview if this is the one where something very interesting and unusual happened or something else. What happened at 11? 
what started with the night before, I dreamt the whole experience. Very, very vivid. Got up in the morning and my parents were in the kitchen. I explained what happened in detail. And my dad was a little town doctor. It was a Sunday morning. We're getting ready for church. And my parents' dad says, you know, beware what's happening to, to you what's going on around you, because we were out to babysit a group of kids. The parents are going snowmobiling, or they call them poker runs. And we were in charge of five little children. And my mom said, keep your eyes open. So we're out for the afternoon. It's a nice winter day, and chilly as could be. And we decided to go for one last run. It's starting, the sun's starting to go down. And we're heading back to the farmhouse. Everybody's thinking of cocoa, hot cocoa and warming up. And as the toboggan, I was on the back of the toboggan is what we call a toboggan squat where the kids, we all wrap our legs around each other. And I was the first one on where the curve of the toboggan is. And I actually had two twin boys in front of me and their little brother. As we came up to the road and the snowmobile turned around to go back to the farm, it hit me immediately. This is where the dream starts. And I can hear the roar of a snowmobile coming across the approach. So I leaned over and I pulled the first little boy off. The second little boy didn't want to go. I was able to pull him off. But the third little boy right in front of me was hanging on. He wouldn't let go. So I knew something was going to happen. And the next thing I could smell the gasoline of the machine and it hit us. A 600 pound snowmobile hit us. And I thought for a moment that, you know, that I was just sitting there. And as the snowmobile sped away, I saw its light and I saw the shattered toboggan and I heard the scream of this little boy. And immediately I felt pain. I felt like the toboggan had hit us with the right ski over our left shoulder. And this is where I was trying to protect him. So it went over my left shoulder, his left leg took off. What I didn't realize is I was stuck on the ski. So it took me down the ditch. And then I rolled off at some of the coat tore or whatever. And now it's getting dark out. But what happened immediately after that is... I had this peacefulness. I just felt like I had been dropped just gently somewhere and it got, I was freezing cold all afternoon. I had one of my brother's parkas on and it didn't fit. So there was a lot of cold going on throughout the day. My fingers were, but when I landed or where I stopped, all of a sudden the noise, everything, this light came on. It was actually, the sun was setting. So it was just getting dark. But where I was, was someplace different. It was very warm. It was uh, the smell of lemongrass, which is a touchstone to me, to my grandmother's farm. And I heard this voice and it was very soft. I'm going to say it was a man's voice talking to me. It was very peaceful and it felt like I was there forever. I was just in this delicate cocoon and I didn't want to go anywhere. Uh, The voice wasn't telling me to come or go. It was just telling me I was okay. And I thought, well, I just want to stay here. I didn't feel any pain whatsoever. 
Well, it was going on in the meantime, the ambulance had come and my father actually came along in the ambulance, which was unusual. Usually the police would call him and then he would go to the hospital. But he knew and he told him that he says, my daughter's out there. And they're like, how do you know that? He didn't want to get into it. So he's sitting in the am- in, in the police car. The ambulance people are out there. They've gotten the kids into the ambulance. They want to go. And he keeps telling them, "There's my daughter's out there. Go look for her. And they're like, it's dark out. We got to go. So they got the flashlights out. And sure enough, there I was several hundred feet down the ditch. And the first adult to find me grabbed me and started shaking me. And all of a sudden, in my little cocoon, this soft little cotton candy blanket I was laying in disappeared. And it felt like my arm had been ripped off my body. The pain was unbelievable. The rest is history. I lived through that. But they were telling me, the uh, the adults and the uh, ambulance attendants were like, we couldn't get a pulse. We couldn't get, you were not breathing uh, we thought for sure you were dead. We didn't know. We didn't want to radio back to the police car where your dad was to tell him that we're sorry, Scott's dad. But it was, he kept saying, she's out there. Go look for her. And of course, the next thing I am, I'm in the hospital. Okay. Let's let's fill in a little detail before we go down the road any further. Yeah. First of all, before we do, I have to say on this show, we've had guests that have had all kinds of accidents. Some people have died from diseases, sickness, heart attacks, whatever. But some we've had someone hit by a train, uh, a bus, a van, motorcycle, cars, trucks, all kinds of things. You're the first one hit by a snowmobile. So congratulations on that. But if you can remember any more detail, and I know this was a long time ago, but you mentioned the voice that you heard. And then it felt, did you say soft? What what were your descriptions on the voice? The voice is very soft, and it was a man's voice. I could hear that. And it was as if, as if it took me from my trauma to where I was to calm me down and telling me that I was okay. It's okay. You're safe. You're okay. And you were feeling no pain at all at this point. Absolutely none. And I couldn't feel the cold, which we had been out there since one o'clock. So this is about four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. Now the sun's down. This big parka that didn't uh, fit me very well had been not keeping me warm all day. It was one of those old Air Force jackets that had the fake fur around it, big green things, and it was way too big for me. And that's why the snowmobile uh, ski was able to pick it up and drag me as far as it did. Yeah, because of the loose clothing. Yeah. Did you do you remember seeing anything or was it just dark and you were hearing this? No, it was ex- extremely bright, like a sunny afternoon, uh, walking through a field of lemongrass and that smell and that comfort it gave me. And the light was warm, glowing. It wasn't like a spotlight, like everything around me was this completely warm almost a yellow warm maybe that's where the lemongrass and my my mind's eye went with that that was just peaceful and it was like I was laying down I know I felt that that I just wow I woke up in this great cotton candy blanket it's the best way to explain it yellow cotton candy blanket sounds sweet and comfortable and warm and everything else 
uh, the lemongrass smell of lemongrass, where does that come from? Do you think? Again, my grandmother in, up in uh, northern North Dakota, she had it growing around the farmstead. So when we went, the first thing getting out of the car and running to grandma's farmhouse was the smell of lemongrass. So it's that comfort that you're okay, you're safe. And that's how I felt. And feeling the the peace that I was going to be okay. Whether I stayed there or not, it just felt like I was I was fine. And I didn't want to leave that. It was the abruptness of the first adult that got to me and started shaking me because he couldn't get a pulse. So he couldn't feel the breath, which, in you know, it's freezing cold out. You can see mist of air. They could get nothing out of it and started doing a little CPR. They weren't getting anything. And he literally grabbed the jacket and started shaking me. This was my best friend's father, who I'd stayed at his farm many, many times and snowmobiled with him. And he kept yelling, you're not going to go. You're not going to go stay here. And it was just as if I'm in this little blanket and pulled out immediately. And the pain and the coldness and all the commotion around me was like sensory overload. It was exactly the opposite of where I had been. Voice is gone. Warm's gone. Yellow's gone. I am in the dark. I'm screaming. The pain hurts terribly. Uh, my Clothing had been ripped, so that's more cold. And they told me the arm was upside down and out of the side of the jacket that they could see. So they could see that it wasn't attached any longer. So that was very painful. So that was a rude awakening. Yeah. And you went to the hospital. What other, did you have any other injuries besides your arm? Mm, not that they could tell. The, the first three or four days, they fixed the arm. We lived across from the school. I get home and dad says, okay, you've missed uh, just about a week of school. Go to school. So they set it up. I walked over and I went in between classes. It's a three-story old stone building. I'm at the top of the third floor with my where my locker is. And I run into this kid that ran me over. And I said, hey, you know, no hard feelings. And he goes, yeah, well, my plan was to kill you. And he pushed me backwards down the marble steps and along the way the cast shattered and I fell to the very bottom and you could see blood bubbling out of the shattered and he looked down he says next time I won't miss so now we've got injury on injury holy cow should I ask what happened to him Uh, he ended up in an institution mental institution and then when he was let go shortly after that took his own life what a sad story very sad he was not stable and i feel so sorry for his family okay well we'll get past that let's get back to you yeah so that set your arm way back it sounds like then what happened with it and so yeah they had to take me up to the the big city doctors and they had to fix it and so they put a cage around the the bed and for 90 days I had to lay there with a pin in it and back then they didn't do physical therapy they didn't do anything other than change the bedding and when I finally was out of the the pins that were in the arm and grew back the best I could they took it out and they took me out of the bed and then they realized there had been a lot of damage in my back but they hadn't seen it this is oh this is back in the 60s medicine was pretty basic yeah. 
you know, in a way I can relate just a little bit. I had an injury in the early seventies when I was of a similar age, a broken leg and they put it in a cast for three months, uh, you know, about as high as it could go and all the way to my toes. So my knee had never bent this whole time when they took it off. It's like, okay, see ya. And mm-hmm. you're, you know, my knee wouldn't even bend and my knee wasn't what was hurt. The tibia had been broken. So I get it. And your injury is much, much worse, but yeah, it was sort of, okay, your, your bones are back together. Now just go fix everything. The rest. Yeah. Put me in the wheelchair. My parents came to get me and then it's like, well, I couldn't walk. It's like, yeah. So that was a whole new getting back into, it. and this is in the middle of the school year. This was done in January. So I still had four months school left. So that was, and I'm left-handed. So I had to learn how to write right-handed or, uh, uh, and this is probably where I became, in, I've always enjoyed writing, but uh, some of my teachers, I asked them if I could just do the test orally, if they would just ask me the questions. Oh, good. So it was a lot of memory, rehearsing, memorizing to answer. So you had an unusual situation that you were growing up in, in that you had had this experience. Most people don't when they're going through adolescent years, et cetera. And you had told me about another experience. It had something to do with your grandmother. And let's briefly hear that too, just to fill in some blanks here. Okay. I was 22 years old. I was living in California and my grandmother was 80 at the time. And somewhere in the middle of the night, I woke up and I could smell lemongrass. And there she was. It was like a hologram at the end of my bed. I got out of bed and I sat at the end of the bed next to her. And I just, we could almost touch hands on the, on the side of the bed. And I'm looking at this and I said, what are you doing here? And in her Norwegian voice says, name. And she says, you need to come visit me. And I said, well, I know one of these days I'll get time off and I'll, I'll come back home no she says you need to come visit me now in the morning I called and I I, I, Eric I can't remember it was my mom or my dad one of the two answered I think it was my dad and I says grandma okay and here again this doctor and he's like no she she she's in the hospital she's had uh, appendix she has appendix we have to take it out we don't know what to do she's 80 years old and so I immediately got a um, flew back home, went straight to the hospital. <clears throat> this is the first time I see my mom. My mom thinks dad had called me to come there. And I explained that, no, grandma came and told me. And they were both looking at me like I was, <laughs> we were drinking on the plane, what? And I said, no, I explained that she had visited me in the middle of the night and said I had to come visit her. And then my dad asked me, what time was that? And I said, well, it would have been one o'clock your time here. And he said, Grandma had an appendicitis burst last night. And we uh, at one at like 1258 and we thought she had flatlined. She was dead and we had to take her in for emergency surgery. So right as that happened, she came to get me to come get her, come visit pretty remarkable lemongrass has a lot of meaning in your life do you do you have candles that smell like it or essential oils or anything no but my my studio shares with our electric cat box and when i went to grab the spray that i just bought it is lemongrass i'm like wow 
okay, here we are again. And the one other time was when I was 39. My mother had passed. I'd been with her at the hospital. I'd come home. They called and said she passed. I came back. They had taken all the tubes off, and it was nice and quiet in there. And I felt this, all of a sudden, this warmth from her body and the smell of lemongrass, and it was like this white, very light entity came from her and dissipated. And I felt this warmth. I was holding her hand. It was cold. She had passed already, but again with the lemongrass. So it's the touchstone for sure for my heart, my mind, and my soul. Somewhere along the line, it's meaningful. And I, you shared that you have it growing around your home. <laughs> well, it wasn't that I have it growing. This, in this, to let our listeners know, in our pre-interview, we had this very unusual... Uh, I'll call it a coincidence. You can call it whatever you want to, but uh, one of my hobbies is beekeeping. And there are a couple of things in beekeeping that we use lemongrass oil for. And when I got on the phone with you the other day, I had had a bunch of lemongrass on my hand, oil on my hands and still smelled like it smelled wonderful. And you started talking about lemongrass and, and here my whole office was smelling like it. And it was, uh, it was kind of fun. Kind of an interesting connection. Wonderful. And thank you for keeping bees. They're important to us. They are very important to us. And we could go on for a million podcasts about beekeeping, but we'll let the experts do that. So let's skip forward to the second near-death experience, and then maybe we'll fill in some of the blanks in between. Well, it was the uh, second surgery where I had had an accident and, and shattered uh three of the vertebrae into 32 pieces. So that was a, a big surgery. And I don't need your exact age, but were you an adult at this point? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say it was 49. I got to go back. Well, well let's, let's do the math. That was, uh, yeah, Lucy is, uh, tomorrow is 17 years old. By the way, our listeners didn't hear who Lucy is. We talked about that previously. You better explain. Okay, Lucy, after my first accident, and I had to have a ladder uh, built in the thoracic, I named her Lucy. It was my mom's favorite comedian, and I thought if I had to live with that, I better have a sense of humor. So fast forward a couple of years later, they realized there's still some more damage. So they want to make a box for the end of the spine, like a fusion, to hold everything together. So, you know, who is Lucy's downstairs neighbor? Ethel. So I named her Ethel. When uh, Ethel was uh, installed the first time, uh, there was issues with it and they couldn't do anything. I had to wait a year. So that next year, when they uh, were going to take the screws out that had broken, uh, they accidentally had torn or ripped or cut the spinal cord sac. If part of the fluid comes out, it could cause paralysis. If all of the fluid comes out, it could cause a fatality. You don't survive. So I come out of the second surgery of the or the third surgery, spine surgery, and they explain that I'm in a gurney. I have my head in a lock. My arms and legs are strapped down, and they're telling me I can't move for 10 hours. They need that to heal. They need it to stabilize itself so there's no paralysis. So they wheel me into my room, and my husband's there and the nurse, and I'm not feeling well. I'm very, very nauseous. 
and she's trying to keep me as quiet as possible, but I start going into convulsions. And the pain was as if there was fire being poured down my spinal cord. And they couldn't give me too much medication because they had to be able to talk to me and I had to be able to feel where the pain was and I had to be able to use my legs to tell them if I was feeling paralysis. And I go into convulsions and it felt like all of a sudden I was on a surfboard that was on a work, uh, earthquake that was on a tidal wave taking me away. And again, the pain of this fire going down my spine and interrupting Lucy terribly, causing her issues and the convulsions, which I can't move my head. And the nurse is trying to catch what's happening because I'm being sick and I can't keep anything down. And all of a sudden, with the shaking, the pain, the fire, I'm gone. I'm standing at the end of the bed and I'm looking at me in this convulsion. The nurse is trying to keep towels around for what's happening. And my husband is bracing my arm on the one side and the nurse is bracing my arm on the other side, trying to hold me still. When I talk about this to friends, I try, you know, I'm probably emotional. So excuse me just a minute, Eric. It's it's reliving some of it. Uh, it's watching my husband's reaction uh, and him yelling uh, for me to stay there and to don't go. I need you here. Please don't leave. Convulsions, pain, and all of a sudden it's gone. And the first thing is I feel or is it's the smell, lemongrass. I'm standing at the end of the bed watching this and this hatch opens up behind me. It was round. It was not square. I don't know, for whatever reason, I turned around. And I'm like, wow, it's just, again, this beautiful, warm, yellow light. And I'm looking at it, and the pain's gone. I mean, in a nanosecond. I'm like, oh, finally. And this voice is very loud and very distinct, very calm. And I ask, I'm like, what's gone? And I'm and I am asking them, can I stay here? And they're like, yes, yes, you're welcome to stay here. So you're in the hospital room, yeah. looking at your body. There's some kind of hatch portal round behind you. Yes. Okay. And you hear the voice again. Yes. Is it the same one you heard as a child? It sounds like it. It does. Okay. And what does it say this time? Okay, I'm facing the door, and I ask this voice, can I come back? And it, it replies, no. And I'm standing there, and I'm halfway looking at the portal's glow as the door is closing, as if I need to make a decision. And I'm like, I can't go back? No. I want to be in both places, and it's telling me I can't. I have to decide. It just simply says no. So I choose to stay. The light, the portal closes behind me. There's a moment where all of a sudden I'm starting to feel sick to my stomach again. And I am immediately back into that bed. And the convulsions stop. I smell a little bit of lemongrass. All of a sudden I'm extremely cold. But I'm there again. 
they get me situated and after my 10 hour time and whatever, and they can medicate me and they take me out of the head brace and they unstrap me and they get me cleaned up and everything. And my husband has to get out of there. He just has to go take a walk. And this nurse stayed with me for the night. And somewhere along the line, she explained that she thought she was holding a corpse. She couldn't feel the pulse. My body went extremely cold. Um, anything on my face, she said, you, you, you look, your lips were purple. You looked as if you were dead. And she said, I want you to know, I heard you negotiating with somebody. I said, what do you mean? Wow. She said, I could hear you ask, can I stay? And somebody and a, and a man's voice said, no. And she says, the next thing your body started going through a gentle release of the convulsion. I'm like, ooh. She's like, she says that was kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't happen every day. Did your husband hear any of that? When I asked him about it, he he says he was in the moment. He was concerned about me, but he did talk about me feeling that I was cold and I was no longer there. He thought I had died. Yeah, and and you went through trauma, and he did too, having to witness it. Yes, that's it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Anything more that you want to tell us about that experience? I think it was the having the nurse when she shared that she felt like she was holding a corpse, cold to the touch. And during the incident, looking at my husband while they held me down, she felt his strength and determination. And she wasn't going to let me go. <laughs> yeah. I assume that helped it become all more real. Yeah. This is it. And I'm just going through, they've they've told me they don't think I'm going to be paralyzed. So I'm dealing mental gymnastics is going through the second surgery with the same, you know, to fix what was wrong the year before. And all of these three spine surgeries, my question is always going to be, am I going to be paralyzed? Because I really want to be up and about and live a healthy life. And when I was talking, when I was standing there and the portal was there and I felt this strength, I'm never going to be paralyzed. I'm going to be okay. And coming back and going through that pain again, that just kept thinking on that other side, I'm going to be okay. The voice said I was going to be okay. I just couldn't be in two places. And I chose to be where I'm going to be. And that is here on this side for now. Well, you look super healthy. So did you have a good recovery? You're able to walk and hike and... That's it. In fact, after the first spine surgery, I'm a former uh, fundraiser and nonprofit consultant. I became a um, aqua fitness coach, instructor. And I have just come back um, getting my certification in Achi for uh, physical therapy and also my aquatic rehab physical therapy certification i think it's i think water is the fountain of youth yeah i'd agree with that yeah i teach hydropilates uh to at a healing center here in Tubac. okay i want to hear more about your life growing up okay because there are not a lot of 11 year olds that have an nde experience something like this how do you think it made you or did it make you different than other Uh, soon to be teenagers and as you were going through all those adolescent years and and early 20s and things like that were you different than everybody else in a way 
I felt that, and I always have, that there's a purpose and that whatever comes in front of you, just deal with it. Don't run away from it. Don't coward from it. And I think I'd mentioned when I was 18 months old, an incident where um, I'd fallen off the dock and they couldn't find me. And when they did, I was face down, basically pronounced dead. And they brought me back. And I've survived 10 years uh, being a warrior of cancer. And also at age 27, I was in an airplane. And I thought about this after you and I had talked, Eric. Is there any other time I've heard that voice? And when the plane was going down, it was the night of the San Francisco earthquake during the uh, World Series. So there were guest pilots on our plane. And we're going from Minneapolis to Arizona for the uh, National Make-A-Wish Convention, which I was their state president at the time. And the plane was being driven by a a pilot that was new into the industry and a, a pilot that had retired and came back. The retired pilot was taking a nap. And at 35,000 feet, the new um, pilot, the the younger pilot, had accidentally turned off the generator. He saw a generator went out, but he turned off the generator that was working. And at 35,000 feet, you can't restart a generator. It has to be less than 30,000. So the plane went from flying to nosedive immediately and went into a spin. Gratefully, there were visiting pilots that took over the cockpit, basically, piracy, went over, went over, and they were able to get it to at least level out. And in between the mountains of Pueblo, Colorado and Monte Visto, they found a little landing strip, this big, we needed this big. So we hit the ground about 400 miles an hour. But it was as this is happening immediately, my background, I was a lifeguard in high school, and My background told me, go into safety. What can you do? Because the staff is told not to do anything. That's something you know for sure. If you're ever in a plane uh, incident, follow staff. So the lights go black. We have no air conditioning. There's it's completely black and the, and the plane is circling, but there was a full moon out. So I could see what they were doing. It was coming through. So I jumped out of the seat I was at and started to help. There was a family there that was an elderly family and then there's a family that had a baby and they couldn't get the baby to quit crying and anyway when we uh were going down right before I got out of my chair there was a moment that I was extremely scared like anybody else you think okay we're going down we're going down fast we're going down like this the air in the plane is like feels like it's 180 degrees and I heard this voice and it said you're going to be okay your lifeguard, you're going to be okay. I got up and started helping where I could. And that transpired throughout the rest of the incident because we were stuck up there for a day or two in snow and no suitcases and trying to figure out what to do. But you were alive. It was. And I feel that when our time's up, it's up. I truly believe that. I'm not saying I drive down the road 110 miles an hour trying to tempt fate. But I truly believe that we have a purpose. We need to be in touch with what it is, find out what it is, and don't be afraid of it. Open it up, see what happens. In fact, you're writing a book about all this, aren't you? I am. You want to talk about that at all? I know it's not it's not done yet, is it? It is. Oh, okay. 
Tell us about that real quick without making it a big sales pitch for everybody. Exactly. It is the story of, and it's called, the title is Stolen from Death, How Obstacles Help Clear a Path for a Better Life. It's Nietzsche. And talk about these different experiences. And after each chapter, it ends with what I learned from it, how life changed. It even deals with you know, bad divorce, deals with uh, breaking up with family members. It talks about the bumps we have in life and how what you take with it. You can either be happy or mad. The choice is up to the individual. Nobody is on this earth to make us happy. It's how you approach it. And I hope that it's inspirational to people. And you know, things happen. You get dealt something, deal with it. So you mentioned a minute ago about finding one's purpose. Have you found your purpose? Yeah, it is on twofold. Having um, this aquatic background now, I've been a certified international aqua instructor, coach, and the people's lives that I see. I teach hydropilates and majority of the people down here are retired. Some have had some injuries as yourself. I'm dealing with a woman right now who had knee surgery and for two years didn't do anything. She doesn't know why her knee doesn't bend. So we're working on getting that knee to bend. (laughs) We say in the industry, motion is lotion to the body, oil yours daily. So being in the water, doing something, keeping yourself healthy. I like when I introduce myself and somebody asks how old I am. And I don't want to make them guess. I just tell them. And then I get this, really? You don't look that old. <laughs> it's like, well, good. I believe it's our spirit. I believe it's what we carry with us. And I'm also was um, very much have looked for inspiration in various healers and um, inspirational people. And I followed Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist, and was in 2017, went to Stonehill College in Boston and was ordained as a peacemaker, a Buddhist peacemaker. So I like to shine that light is that we care about your environment, you care about people, you care about yourself and our world. It's a nice lane to be in, I believe. And these experiences have all brought me there. Beautifully said. And that was a pretty good summary, but I'm going to ask you one more thing. And that is, okay, you've got a lot of people out there listening to you right now. You've got a forum. You've got the floor. One one last thing that can help everybody. What have you learned from all this? Hmm. And I said it to myself when I was 21 years old. I don't know if you want to hear the situation. I can make it short, but I don't have to. Go ahead. Okay. General Motors has just transferred me to Southern California. I was in my new apartment looking over the ocean, and I was going to go to Catalina Island for the day to celebrate my 21st birthday. I'm listening to NPR and La Cappuccino, and I hear Natalie Wood has drowned in Catalina Island. I'm like, well, there goes my day. So I went and got a bottle of wine, and I sat overlooking the ocean. I was on the cliff of the ocean, and I thought, what can I live with? that I know now that I can live with for the rest of my life. And it's still true. What doesn't work, quit doing it. Whether it's a relationship, a job, a place, uh, a creative something, if it's not working, and that includes family. I've had to break up with family and friends. If it's not working, quit doing it. That seems so obvious. 
and such common sense, but it's not always that easy. We've, we sometimes feel stuck in these ruts. And in relationships, I was the youngest of seven. It was a blended family. And I remember coming home somewhere around 10 o'clock or 10 years old or so, or somewhere in that area. And my mom, we're doing our homework, had to do it in the kitchen. So she knew we were doing it and asked what my essay was going to be. And she said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I named a couple family members. She's just, what are you talking about? And I shared what I saw, what they were doing wrong with their lives. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go that path. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And I think it was having that responsibility. And then as my parents got older, I became the caretaker. And this just came to me listening to a podcast yesterday. When we grow up, we sometimes get into these relationships and we think we have to be that person. So I became the caretaker for the family. And as I'm getting older and I've had all these situations, I should be taking care of myself. Everybody was asking me to take care of them. And when I got to the point of understanding to live that, this isn't working for me. I can't do this anymore. My life has become easier. I've made space for better people in my life. I have better quality of life. I don't have trauma. I don't have drama. It is, I mean, things happen. But again, if it's not working, regardless of what it is, quit doing it. Do you have any fear of death at this point? I don't. I don't. I have a surgery coming up in two weeks and the doctor's going, oh my God, what else could happen? It'll be surgery number 29. It's like, yeah, the oddest things. And here I go. It's like, okay. That is really a lot of surgeries. I wish you well. I hope it goes great. I'm sure it will. Mm -hmm. You're a healthy person. You're going to continue to be so I can tell. Thank you. I want to be about 100 so I can keep giving advice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sky Lynn, thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you for for your time and the voice to be able to share this. And I appreciate what your uh, interest is in near-death experiences. Thanks again for listening and remember to share this podcast. To be notified when the next episode goes live, follow us on your podcasting app or click over to roundtripdeath.com and sign up for our email newsletter. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Thank you.